we are going to read what the inspired chronicler writes about the reign of King Amaziah, the king of Judah. We read in 2 Chronicles 25, verse 1, Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. And as soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants who had struck down the king his father. But he did not put their children to death according to what is written in the law in the book of Moses where the Lord commanded, Fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and set them by fathers' houses under commanders of thousands and hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He mustered those twenty years old and upward and found that they were three hundred thousand choice men fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. He also hired also, hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. But go, act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again. And they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went to the valley of salt and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock, and they were all dashed to pieces. But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent to him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped, but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. And Joash, the king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, A thistle on Lebanon, sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my wife for a son, to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. 
you say, See, I have struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. But now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah, with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Joash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits, from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. And he seized all the gold and silver, and all the vessels that were found in the house of God, in the care of Obedidim. He seized also the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages, and he returned to Samaria. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the deeds of Amaziah, from first to last, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? From the time when he turned away from the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and put him to death there. And they brought him upon horses, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. This past week, some United Reformed ministers were discussing how in some of the newer congregations there is biblical illiteracy. People don't even know the Bible stories. Now, if before I read this chapter to you this morning, and I had asked you, what do you know about King Amaziah? What would you have been able to say? Children, I want you to know a little bit about what's going on here in this history. The guy we're going to talk about today is King Amaziah. And King Amaziah's daddy was King Joash. Now, when I've taught in catechism, the kids always love the story of King Joash because King Joash became the king of Judah at the ripe old age of seven. Yeah, we have some kids in the congregation who are seven years old. Can you imagine a seven-year-old becoming the king of Judah, sitting on the throne of David and the throne of Solomon? Well, that was Joash. That was the daddy of the guy we're talking about today. Now, remember that whole story. It was bad news. Kids, you remember a lady named Queen Athaliah? Queen Athaliah is one of the bad people in the Bible. Queen Athaliah's daddy was, yes, King Ahab. Maybe Queen Jezebel, we're not sure, but she had really, really ungodly parents. Well, she became the queen down in Judah, of all things, because King Jehoshaphat, a good king, king of Judah, had his son marry this queen, this Athaliah, this princess from the north, and she's the lady who tried to kill all of her grandkids. Queen Athaliah, she tried to kill all of her grandkids. Kids, think of your grandma and what your grandma's like. Queen Athaliah tried to kill all of her grandkids, and she succeeded in killing all of them except for just Joash. 
He survived, and the high priest Jehoiada, you probably know this story, kids, the high priest Jehoiada hid Joash for a little while, raised him, and then he played a role in getting Joash to become the king when he was only seven years old, and Queen Athaliah was killed. Well, what happened is Joash grew up, and first he was a good king while King Jehoiada was around, but later on he, he walked in some sins, and then... Of all things, the son of Jehoiada came and rebuked him, and then he had him killed, and that man's name was Zechariah. Well, this led to Joash being killed, and so Amaziah now, he's not so young, he's 25, becomes the king. But 25 is relatively young. As we get older, we look at someone who's 25, and they look like they're a high schooler compared to what they used to look like. So... Amaziah becomes the king, and we're told one of the first things he does is he deals with the fact that some of his servants, actually the guys who killed his daddy were an Ammonite and a Moabite, and he deals with them and he executes them. But we're told that he does something good and that he doesn't kill all their kids. And the law had said you shouldn't do that. So we find that young King Amaziah, age 25, comes to the throne, and he does something that is right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what's striking about King Amaziah and this whole chapter is that it begins with saying that Amaziah, as king, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but then we're told, the King James says, but not with a perfect heart. The ESV says, but not with a whole heart. And then if you go back to the book of Kings, where you find a parallel story, you find that, yes, Amaziah is said to have done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not like David his father, David his ancestor. Now, after I read this chapter this morning, you might have wondered, is Amaziah even a believer? Is he even a child of God? Was he even a saved man? And I have to go away with saying, because of the introduction here, because of how he is introduced, as a man who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, verse 2, I think he was a child of God. And in that we have a lesson. Because he appears to be a child of God, and yet, when the Bible records his life, what is the chronicler right of? Well, basically, three big sins in his life. Isn't that rough? That's his legacy, three major sins that are remembered here by the chronicler. But I think this is helpful for us because guess what you and I are? We are also, we are by God's grace saints. We've been redeemed, we've been saved. By God's grace, we do what is right in the eyes of the Lord because God is sanctifying us. We are saints. But there's also so much sin in our lives yet. King Amaziah and myself and you, we are sort of, we're sort of like the Laodiceans. On the one hand, we're, we're hot, and the other we're cold. We're, we're sort of like lukewarm too often. Or we're, we're like the people that Hosea talked about in Hosea 7, verse 8. He said, it's, the Israelites were like a cake not turned. Kids, you've ever made pancakes with your mom? So if you make pancakes, imagine you pour the batter out and then you just leave one side down and you don't flip it. What happens? 
Well, the bottom gets burned, and the top is all gooey yet. How would you like to have that for breakfast? We mustn't be lukewarm so that we're distasteful to God. We mustn't be like a cake half-turned that's blackened on one side and gooey on the other side. Notice, we have in this whole story a call to consistency. If we confess that we are Christians, we need to live in light of that. Well, what about when big trials come? That's what Amaziah is going to face. The issue is this. You are facing trials in your life right now. We're all facing trials. And the big issue isn't this. What is our trial? The big issue is this. How are we responding to our trial in a way that honors God so that we are not like a cake half-baked or like lukewarm water? But in the face of great trials, we are facing them, believing in God, trusting in Him, and passionate about pursuing after holiness no matter what the cost. The title of my sermon is, King Jehovah Strengthens Depends on Mercenaries, Edom's Idols, and His Generalship. We're going to look at, one, a disturbing question that he asks. Number two, how... Amaziah finds a new faith, unfortunately. And the third, the price of picking fights. Each one of those takes us to one of his weaknesses. So Amaziah is a young king, 25 years of age. You know, young men always have grand ideas, big ideas. He also begins his reign wanting to do something big. And he decides he wants to attack Edom. Fifty years ago, the Edomites had been under the thumb of the Israelites and had to pay tribute. Kids, do you remember where the Edomites come from? Yeah, they come from Esau, Jacob's brother. Well, the Edomites had been under the thumb of the Israelites, but now they had been free for some 50 years. They had revolted under the reign of King Joram years back. And so he decides what he will do is he will fight against them and he will try to conquer them. And so he wants to have some military glory. So what he does is he musters the troops. He goes and he counts how many guys are 20 years of age and older who are able to fight in Judah and in Benjamin. And when they do the census, they discover that there's 300,000 potential soldiers. But that's actually bad news for King Amaziah, because in the past, the armies of the Judites had been far bigger than that. And so he is discouraged by the small number. And so he decides what he will do is he will depend upon mercenaries. He'll hire people. He'll pay them to fight for him. Remember during our Revolutionary War how the Americans despised the fact that the British hired mercenaries, Hessian, German mercenaries. And of course, you know the whole story how George Washington was able to capture them all. Vladimir Putin probably has some mercenaries fighting in Ukraine right now too. People you pay to fight. Well, what King Amaziah decides is that in order for him to defeat Edom, he's going to have to hire some mercenaries. So he pays a lot of money to men from the northern kingdom to come and fight with him. He pays them a huge amount, 100 talents of silver. 
Now, kids, I don't want you to be confused here. Remember, by this time in Israelites' history, there are two kingdoms. When I teach catechism, I always make a big deal about that, that you have the southern kingdom that has Judah as the leading tribe, little Benjamin, and all the sons of David, remember, remain the kings there. But then in the north, where you had the ten tribes, where Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who taught Israel to sin, set up the golden calves, there you have the kingdom of Israel, we call it, the ten tribes. Well, what happens is the ten tribes, yes, they're worshiping idols, worshiping the golden calf, under Ahab and Jezebel, worship Baal and so on. Well, what, up there now we have a uh, descendant, a grandson of Jehu, who is now the king. We'll meet him shortly. And, um, and so what happens is that Amaziah is the king in the south. He's the heir of David, and he hires 100,000 soldiers from the north, from the kingdom of Israel, from the people who worship the golden calves. These are soldiers who worship the golden calves. And he pays them 100 talents of silver. Today, that would be more than 6,000 pounds of silver. You can go check how much silver is trading for nowadays and figure out how much that would cost today to have 6,000 pounds of silver. This is a lot of money. And so as King Amaziah is getting ready to go a fight, to fight against the Edomites, suddenly he is met by a prophet of God. The prophet of God basically says, what are you doing? Why are you allying yourself with the apostates from the north? Why are you going in covenant with them? Why are you joining with these wicked golden calf worshipers? You ought not to do that. He says, don't you realize that God is able to fight for you? You know, numbers don't count. We see that throughout the Bible. It doesn't matter how large your armies are. In fact, a previous king, in fact, the daddy of Amaziah, had a huge army, and there's a small army of the Syrians came against him, and God caused the Syrians to win because he wanted to punish the king of Judah. In verse 8, we read about how the prophet says, But go, act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. Notice how he says that God is against the Ephraimites. He says the Lord is not with Israel, that is with the ten tribes, with all these Ephraimites. In fact, he's against them. And it's at that point that King Amaziah asks a very disturbing question. You know what he asks? What about the money I already paid? He's concerned about the 100 talents of silver. He says, I already paid these mercenaries. They're not going to give the money back. From their subsequent action, you find out what their attitude is. No, they're not giving the money back. So he says, well, what about the 100 talents? I'm going to suffer loss. I'm going to lose that money. In verse 9, we have the exact words. He says, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I've given to the army of Israel? Now, that's a disturbing question to me. And why is it a disturbing question? It's because King Amaziah is saying there's an unwelcome cost to being obedient. 
if I'm obedient to the Lord, I'm going to lose out on all of this money. We as Christians, as Dutch Christians, are famous for being thrifty, caring about money. We're concerned about losing money. Matthew Henry says, This is an objection men often make against their duty. They are afraid of losing by it. There's a high cost to discipleship. Here is a man on the throne of Judah, on the throne of David. King Amaziah should be a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be a type of the one who will have for his adoptive father, Joseph. It is through Joseph, his adoptive father, that Jesus will have the right to the throne of David. King Amaziah should be a type of him. What does Christ do? Although Christ had all the glory he enjoyed with God the Father, all the glory and splendor of deity, what did he do? He laid that down. He emptied himself. And although he was rich, he became poor and became a man and suffered and died for us. And then here's King Amaziah worried about suffering loss. There's a cost for discipleship. There's a cost to obedience. Jesus made that very clear that if you would take up your cross, if you're going to be his disciple, you need to take up your cross and follow him. And there would be cost, there would be loss, there would be suffering. And so we too allow ourselves to be frightened by the cost of following God's word. But you know, our answer should be no, no matter. Never mind the hundred talents. Never mind the fact that I'll lose a good paying job. Remember the saints that the writer to the Hebrews writes about how they willingly suffered the loss and the confiscation of their goods. We need to simply do what's right. You need to do what is right. You need to do what God says, no matter what the loss, and leave the rest to God. Now, the prophet does give a triumphant answer to this, too. In verse 9, he says, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Yes, God is able to give you victory over the Edomites, and you'll be able to plunder them for far more than 100 talents worth of silver. But remember, even in the Old Testament, if you were faithful, it didn't always mean that you would have great gain. Yes, it's true that God did bless his people in the Old Testament. Often with blessing with material goods in the way of their obedience. And the material blessings they had in the land of Israel are a picture of spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. But remember, there's also Naboth, Naboth, who, because of his faithfulness, and say, no, this is the land that God has given to me and my family in the land of promise. Guess what happens to him? Jezebel has him executed. The Bible tells us, too, that, yes, in the way of obedience, we will suffer loss, perhaps. But guess what? Even in this life, God promises to us spiritual family, promises to us eternal life, 
glories to come. The Apostle Paul talks about the great weight of glory. And you know something that is greater than money that God is able to give to us? How much money do you have in the bank right now? What does that all compare to? Holiness. God is able to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus, to transform us into the image of Christ. He is able to make us pure. He's able to make us heavenly minded. He's able to give us a good conscience. He's able to give us all the blessings of the life to come. How swift life flies by. But for us, we're like Paul. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And then there's the Apostle Paul. Remember what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I, I willingly suffered the loss of all things, his reputation. And he says, I count them all dung compared to having Christ. We have Christ. What does 100 talents matter? Christ is the pearl of great price. Having him, we have all that we need. We have a precious Savior. We have his precious blood. We have glory to come. But at this point, even though he has that disturbing question, it is good to see that Amaziah does what is right in the eyes of the Lord here. I think this is an evidence of sanctification. He does, in fact, contact the 100,000 mercenaries and said, you can go home. I don't need you. And then we're told in this history how he goes on the attack against Edom. And his whole approach is one that is also encouraging. We're told that he attacks them with courage, verse 11. But Amaziah took courage. I think that is courage that involves trusting in the Lord God Almighty to fight for Judah. And he goes. And he goes and he attacks Edom and he attacks them in the Valley of Salt, which is probably summers by the southern part of the Dead Sea. Remember, this is the area where long ago Sodom and Gomorrah had stood. It was also here 200 years ago. David had had a victory over the Edomites. And Amaziah leads the people of God, and God gives them the victory. And as we look at this history, guess we, we don't just see, you know, Israelite soldiers, 300,000 of them, fighting against the Edomite soldiers. But we see this as part of a whole history, isn't it? This is part of the whole battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the devil. Reminds us to this very day we are engaged in a battle. Yes, it's true, Jacob and Esau were at each other. Remember Jacob trying to steal things from his brother like the birthright and so on. Esau talking about killing him once dad had died. Well, now their descendants are at each other's throats in these last days too. We are involved in a spiritual battle. We are fighting against demons and wicked men. And also this morning we need to realize we're also fighting against our old flesh, our old man of sin. So the battle continues. We're told that he follows up the battle by also seizing the capital city of the Edomites, which is Selah. Now, some people have tried to figure out what, what town is actually being talked about here. Some people thought that this was Petra, which has become famous as the city 
built out of rock, which was rediscovered uh, probably 150 years ago again. Because in the story, too, of people thrown from the heights, from craggy rocks, people thought, well, maybe this was Petra. But it does seem that instead this is a place called Escila, which is, if you look on a map, it's two and a half miles northwest of Basra. It's the capital of Edom. He's able to conquer that. And then we, we find something that is a little disturbing, too. King Amaziah, in the flush of victory deals in a very savage way with his prisoners. Are you scared of heights? How'd you like to be thrown out of an airplane? Well, David's men, or Amaziah's men take these Edomite soldiers they've captured and they throw them off some craggy heights to their death. And then things get worse because King Amaziah finds a new faith. As he plunders the capital city, he plunders the temples of the Edomites. Now, little is known about the actual names of the deities of the Edomites, what their idols were called. The kids remember back in those days, people like the Edomites, dad, moms, and kids would all go to these temples and they worship these idol gods that look like, you know, look like men or women sometimes. They worship these idols, these statues. Well, King Amaziah goes into these temples and he finds these idols of the Edomites. And you know what he does? He doesn't take them and throw them over the cliffs. In fact, Matthew Henry says things would have been far better if he would have taken those idols and thrown those idols off the cliff and saved the men alive and not dealt with them so brutally. But instead, he takes these images, these idols, And he thinks, well, these are amazing-looking idols. They're probably made out of gold and silver and precious stones. And so he keeps them, and he takes them home with him back to Jerusalem into the city that is the city of David, the place where God is worshipped in the holy temple, and he sets up these idols of the Edomites, and he bows down to them. Look at him, this king, bowing down and worshipping these idols. And he's offering incense to them. And he's probably trying to portray the fact that um, the Edomites, they've been abandoned by their gods. And he's probably trying to imply that now the gods of the Edomites are on my side. They're not on the side of the Edomites anymore. And he violates the first commandment. Thou shalt not engage in idolatry. And then God sends a prophet in, as recorded in verse 15. We're told, therefore, the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent to him a prophet who said to him, why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? This prophet comes and says, this is insane. Why in the world are you worshiping idol gods that couldn't even deliver their people? God is making the point that he is the one true God. He is able to give his people victory over their enemies. And now, What insanity! But then we have to pause a moment and we have to realize that we engage in the same insanity. Men, have you been tempted this week to make an idol God out of your work? That you find yourself, there's just always more work you want to get done. Apparently there's some some ideal... 
elusive success ahead there that you want to accomplish, and so you work, 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 work. So your wife doesn't even see you reading your Bible. Or when we're young, we can, and we, we do it when we're old too, we, we, we make an idol of our looks, and we think, well, yes, if we can just buy the right dress or the right clothes, we'll look so marvelous. And we make an idol out of our looks. Did you drink a little bit too much this week? Yesterday I went with my daughter kayaking down a river and I ran across a lot of people who were very, very happy and very effusive and very outgoing. We make an idol out of peace of mind and then we think alcohol can solve it. No, we make our idols too, and we worship them too. We need to cast down our idols too. We need to wreck them. Amaziah's response is really bad. You know, husband, when your wife comes to you and says, you know, are, are you making an idol out of that? Don't respond like King Amaziah here. He said... Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should he be struck down? So his response is, hey, you aren't a counselor. You aren't in my cabinet. Why are you giving me advice? He says, why shouldn't you be beaten or killed or struck down? So he threatens him. And then the prophet responds by playing around with this language of counselors. He says, I know that God has determined, and literally the word is counseled. God has counseled to destroy you, he says to Amaziah, because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. So the prophet doesn't back down. No, we need to repent of our idols. And we need to live by faith in God. We need to worship only the one true God. We need to worship God. When you're outside in this beautiful weather, or even when there's thunder and lightning in the sky, praise God. Worship the one true and glorious God. Sing his praises. Don't take his name in vain. Instead, on your way to church and on your way home from church, sing his praises. The downward spiral of this child of God continues, unfortunately. And we find here in the end of the story the price of picking fights, the price of being a warmonger. You know what happens when victory goes to your head? It's like King Amaziah has been victorious over the Edomites and he forgets that the reason why he had victory is because God gave him the victory. He apparently thinks, well, I had victory because my troops fought so well and I was such a good leader, such a good general of my army. And so he begins to look around, and, and he looks around for someone else who he can attack. Someone bigger. He's defeated the Edomites with their smaller armies. Now he picks a bigger enemy. And he lifts his eyes up to the north. He looks to the ten tribes, and he says, well, I'm going to take them on. And so he sends a note to 
Joash, the king of the ten tribes. Now, you kids probably know a lot more about Joash's grandpa. His grandpa was Jehu. Remember, Jehu is the guy who took out Ahab, Ahab's son anyways, and he's the one, God, of course, took out Ahab with a, uh, an arrow of the enemy, but then he took out Ahab's sons, and he's the one who's famously had sweet Jezebel thrown from the window by her eunuchs. Remember that? So Jehu came with all kinds of zeal for himself, unfortunately, came to power in the north, and then now his grandson is the king, and his grandson is this man named Jotham. And we're told in verse 17 that King Amaziah writes a note to Joash and says, Come, let us look one another in the face. You might say, well, what does that mean? Well, it'd be if kid today say, let's, let's go meet behind the school, behind the high school after school, meaning put your dukes up and let's fight it out. So he says, let's, let's fight each other. Now, why does he want to attack the north? There's no real good reason. There's no good excuse given here. Now, we are told that he asked for counsel. Verse 17 says, Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel before he did this. But guess who he asked? He didn't ask God. He didn't go to God's prophet and ask for counsel. He went to his minions, the guys who work for him, to the guys who are willing to be the kind of people that Vladimir Putin surrounds himself with, people who say yes. And he says, should I go fight against you know, the north? And they all say, yes, go ahead and do it. Now, is the reason that he wants to fight because of the fact that those mercenaries on their way home were mad and caused all kinds of trouble? Now, it's true, they did. We're told back in verse 13 that those mercenaries, they were angry and they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. So that's quite something. They killed 3,000 people from Judah, took a lot of spoil. Commentators have wondered why it says from Samaria to Beth Horon, because Samaria, of course, is the capital of the north. So they wouldn't be raiding there. Some people wonder whether there's another town that was called Samaria, a smaller town. Other people think the idea is that some mercenaries were located in Samaria, and so they left Samaria, and then they came into Judah, and then they started going crazy like this. But it's interesting that we're not even told that that's the main reason for this. And in fact, King Joash of the north, he says, he thinks, and I think he has his finger right on the button, he says the reason you're doing this is because you're being proud, you're being boastful. In verse 19, the king of the north says, you say, see, I've struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. So you got a big head, you think, well, I'm a great warrior, I'm like Napoleon. And so, King Jotham doesn't encourage him, says, stay home. Now, we have, a, we have a warning here in the Bible. As a pastor, I was always amazed how, you know, as a pastor in elders in church, you are often trying to be a peacemaker. And I was amazed when you find in the congregation people who actually like, like to start fights and like to pick on other people. Um, the Bible has stuff to say about that. Turn to the book of Proverbs, for example. Turn to Proverbs 25, verse 8. 
Now, we live in a country where people engage in all kinds of civil lawsuits. Notice how here in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 8, we're told not to be so quick to go to court, that is to bring lawsuits against people. He's, it says, the last part of verse 7 says, What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? So there we have a warning about trying to make legal issues out of things too quickly. And then turn back to Proverbs 17 and look at Proverbs 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. The beginning of strife is like a a dam busting, so watch out, it says. Then turn to Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Theologians pick fights too, unnecessary fights. That's what we're dealing with here, unnecessary fights. There are necessary fights. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, King Joash tries to portray the senselessness of Amaziah attacking the north. And he tells a little fable, like a little parable. He says there once was, you know, a a father, and uh, he is a thistle. You know, a thistle is kids, right? That's a a thorn bush. You don't like those in your fields. So there's a man who's a thistle. He's just a weed. Has his wife and has a a son, a little thistle. Now, back in those days, they would do arranged marriages. So today, you know, what happens is that you will date someone, get to know them. Back in those days, the parents would arrange the marriages. So so the thistle here, the father thistle, is going to arrange a marriage. And so he's from Lebanon, which is an area famous for these massive trees, just like out in California, where places we have these massive trees that are in danger of getting burned down. And what happens is that this father, this thistle who's the father, he goes to a massive cedar of Lebanon, one of these massive trees. And he says, I'd like to arrange a marriage between my son and your daughter. Now, what is he thinking, right? A thistle is going to marry, a weed is going to marry his son to the daughter of a massive, impressive cedar tree. And then in the fable, King Jotham says, a wild animal comes and tramples down the thistle, and that's the end of the story. Now, what's his point? His point is that don't mess with me. You're like a thistle. You mess with me. It's like you're messing with a giant, giant redwood. Don't do that, he says. Now, that was good and sound advice, but it was very provocative to someone in Amaziah's mood. Why would Amaziah go ahead with a fight? Well, guess what? We learned that God is sovereign over this. Look at verse 20, back in Second Chronicles chapter 25. We're told that Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. Behind all human affairs is the overruling providence of God. God's providence is supreme in our lives, and so meticulous that not a hair can fall from our heads apart from his will. God is sovereign, ordaining that the way of his idolatry, worshiping the Edomite gods, 
he would suffer a downfall, that he would be proud and go ahead with this stubborn persistence to fight the northerners. And so the battle commences. In fact, King Joash, he took the offensive. He came down and invaded in Judah, and the battle was joined at Beth Shemesh, which is 15 miles west of Bethlehem. And the whole battle was an absolute disaster for King Amaziah. His troops were routed, and he was captured. This proud king becomes a captive. And King Jotham takes his armies, marches right to Jerusalem, and now that he has captured the king, they have to open the gates for him, and they wreck the walls of Jerusalem for 600 feet, facing to the north, facing to the north towards the ten tribes. So the city is unprotected. King Jotham comes inside, and King Amaziah had been into him, not losing silver. Guess what? All the gold and silver that he has, and that's in the temple, is all confiscated and stolen. Never was a proud prince more humbled. Hostages are taken. It's not clear, actually, when he was released. Was, was Amaziah released pretty soon so he could go back and reign as the king of Judah? Meanwhile, he had, you know... Kids, for example, who are hostages in the northern kingdom, so he would not rebel. Some people think, well, maybe he remained a hostage until King Jotham died, and then he was released. It's not clear how long he was held, but what happens, though, is God's providence catches up with him. And the story ends with people in Judah, so his own subjects, conspire against him. We're told the reason. The reason goes all the way back to the worship of those Edomite idols, even though this happens later, because what happens is Amaziah outlives Joash by 15 years even, so he lives longer. But what happens is that his subjects remember what he had done, and so in the end, they come after him, and he knows they're trying to assassinate him, so he takes off for Lachish, trying to escape. They track him down, and they execute him. And then they put his corpse on a horse and bring him back to Jerusalem where he's buried. Now, what's the whole moral of the story? Like I said, apparently this man, this king, who is buried, who experiences such humiliation, actually is a child of God. We're told at the very beginning of the story, he did what was right in the eye of the Lord. Although not with a perfect heart, not with a whole heart. Not like David, his father. His name means Jehovah strengthens. Amaziah, the uh at the end is Yahweh. The first part means strengthens. His name means Jehovah strengthens. That was his, con- should have been his confession. Jehovah strengthens. So, so he should not have relied on mercenaries. He should not have relied on idols. But that's our confession too. Jehovah is our strength. We take upon ourselves name, the name Christians. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in him alone for salvation. He alone is our Lord. You and I need to live consistent with that confession. We have a Savior who has loved us, has given himself for us, has washed us from our sins. He is also supreme in our sanctification. And he calls us to be holy. So you and I may not be lukewarm We may not be like a pancake burned on one side and then gooey on the other side. 
Do you want your epitaph on your grave to say, this person did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a whole heart? No, by God's grace, let us fight against sin. Let's pursue after holiness. Let's honor the Lord on this Lord's day. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot fight against sin. So we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the word and through hearing the word preached that you would work in our lives so that we would fight against our besetting sins and so that we would, as we face the trials we face this coming week, would trust in the God of Israel. Forgive our sins. Have mercy upon us. Do not chastise us as we deserve. Have mercy upon us. And may we live solely for the glory of your great name and for the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.